Welcome to What's Korean Cinema, episode 54 on Memento Mori. The Whispering Corridors series had wind in its sails commercially, but rather than do a, a year later in the same all-girls school type of follow-up, the makers decided to create a thread for the series based on similar setting and the fact that there are supernatural elements, but not rehash the same story. So for 1999's Memento Mori, and Whispering Corridors was the year before. Spooky and heartbreaking stuff. It's also back, but also something new, something non-linear. And something in some people's eyes, hugely controversial, is here as well. My name is Kennedy, and with me is Paul Quinn of Hangul. Sally Lloyd is still in spooky, spooky territory, but uh, nevertheless, uh, welcome back, sir. Thank you very much. Hello, everyone. Nice to talk to you again. How long has it been since you uh, revisited uh, these movies? years perhaps decades you know back in the day when tartan released them i i ended up getting a box set that had the the main three that we're talking about you know whispering corridors memento mori wishing stairs and when tartan went belly up and then was taken over and turned into palaces tartan they re-released it as the four set with the voice as well and i re-bought it then um however long ago that was was the last time i I really indulged. I, I remember I went straight for Wishing Stairs, which I keep saying is my favorite of the main three. And The Voice, I'm not even sure if I've watched Memento Mori since the first time I saw it all those years ago until, you know, a couple of nights ago for this. So it's been a while. Quite uh, fresh indeed. And uh, the, uh, this is my first introduction to these movies uh, at all. I mean, I knew of uh, certain titles, Memento Mori sounded uh, recognizable, but uh, I'd, I'd really not picked up on much uh, chatter in the community about uh, what happened in these movies. And remember that moment from that movie. It is uh, it's really been as uh, much of a blind watch as um, as one can achieve in these um, in this day and age. Uh, so, which is nice, of course. Um, so, uh, I, th- I think it's from my point of view, it's quite interesting because doing the Korean film stuff for so long. You know, everybody that mentions them there knows what they're about. And, you know, I know for a fact that a lot of them don't come across the way people would expect them to. So for you coming into it blind, it's really interesting for me to hear how it hits you, you know, as a a contemporary critic. You know, it's just it's quite it's quite a whole an interesting concept. I'm glad we're doing them. Never called me a critic again. You know, I'm just a I'm just a guy who likes stuff. Ah, oh, pedant, pedant. Yes, okay. My my apologies, guy who likes stuff. Okay, that's a way high of a plane to to place me on. That's the kind of plane you are on. So, shut up. Oh dear, no. I, I'm I, I I I recently heard a quote that works really well, and I'm going to use it for me now. Um, I'm I'm a guy who likes stuff rather than you know. My reviews more than anything else are my opinion more than maybe anybody else's reviews are because it all comes from me and i don't really mind that so critic mm, I, I critique i'm a guy who who likes to share his personal opinions and that's what it comes down to they're all opinions a virtual handshake and safely distance handshake on uh, on that notion so we're on the same plane now so let's uh, get into the contact information first of all um, me and paul uh, it's been out for a while now but it's it's going to be out for several years because uh, the license will be uh or will be long lasting me and paul did the audio commentary for the mondo macabro blu-ray release of kim ki young's woman chasing the butterfly of death also known as 
a few other titles, uh, including um, Killer Butterfly even. And uh, that uh, title is available on mondo-macabro.com, always fairly priced. It's actually region all, so you can, if you have a Blu-ray player in the UK, you can buy that title and uh, and uh, play it all. Um, and uh, there are some other supplements, video supplements on the disc that are very enjoyable, including interview with uh, the lead actress, uh, who's, uh, as Paul said, when we did the commentary and the lead up to it, um, she looks incredible at uh, her uh, at her uh, retiree age, if you will, and um, she was totally very, cool. very enjoyable interviewee, as a matter of fact. So, um, lovely, lovely lady. And I never, heard, I never heard a chance to hear, hear uh, or read that much of, but I, I know of him, uh, Darcy Packett uh, talk, and he was very enjoyable to to listen to uh, as he uh, talked of uh, Kim Ki Young's uh, career and so forth. Uh, sort of man on the street interview. It, it, you know, it was well recorded, but it was like in the middle of the street, but it was well recorded. So it was uh, uh, a sunny day, a day in Seoul or wherever he lives, uh, as a matter of fact. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. On a completely separate note, I have the hugest respect for him. You know, back when I was learning what little I know, you know, Darcy's koreanfilm.org website was was the go-to place it was the only place you could really trust korean film reviews and his his feelings about films really echoed mine and and really gave me a huge amount of confidence so um he was actually at the london korean film festival it was either last year or the year before and it was the first time i'd met him and i've read your stuff for years yeah, well, totally. You know, I was like, I'm here because you made me. Just huge amount of respect. So any interview with him is always going to be informed. It's always going to be just, just almost perfection. You know, go get get the Blu-ray. Check out our commentary, but check out Darcy's interview as well. Definitely. And as for the rest of the contact information there, this is What's Korean Cinema on the Podcast on Fire Network. We are located on podcastonfire.com and that means our back catalogue of uh, episodes, including the last uh, two or three that have been focusing on Korean uh, horror. We did The Ring Virus, we did Whispering Corridors, this is Memento Mori, and we're going to conclude it for now anyway uh, with an episode on Wishing, wishing Stairs uh, after this. So all that uh, is available and will be available on the site, including a bunch of bonus episodes that we have produced, but also that are connected to other shows on the network, uh, whether they're uh, connected to Podcast on Fire that deals with uh, Hong Kong cinema new and old, or Japan on Fire, Commentary on Fire, this week in Sleaze and so forth. Hit us up on social media. We have various buttons leading to our social media presences on Facebook and Twitter. And uh, subscribe and uh, rate us on Apple Podcasts. Uh, there's a button to our feed uh, on the site as well as to our Instagram as well. And uh, you can listen to us on Stitcher Radio and Spotify and all that good stuff. I write about a variety of Hong Kong and Taiwanese movies on SoGoodReviews.com. And my tweets are available at SoGood reviews paul uh let's plug uh, your site and um it's gonna be relevant because the movie is gonna be uh, out there for all to see so why don't you work in um, a little plug for your um uh, review of a certain netflix movie involving involving phones that people can go and see so where's your site and where's uh, what's that review about for those of you who haven't Listen to me wheeling, wheeling on and on before. I, I'm Paul. I run HangulCelluloid.com, which is a Korean film and interview website. I'm at HangulCelluloid.com, spelt as you would expect it to be, I guess. Um, I'm on Facebook at Facebook.com slash HangulCelluloid. And 
on Twitter at, at Hangle Celluloid. There are little buttons to the social medias on the, the main homepage. So if you pop over there, you can check out reviews, interviews with cast and crew. And, uh, you know, over the years, I've given a few talks at various institutions and a lot of those are transcribed as well. So hopefully you'll find something useful um, in terms of the Netflix side of things. I'm assuming you're referring to The Call. Out of all the Korean films that I've found on Netflix over the years, I've had somewhat of an issue with, with many of them. You know, if you think of Psychokinesis, um, it was based on a a true story, a tragedy, and they turned it into, you know, an almost tongue-in-cheek slapstick moments fantasy film. And for the first half of the film, the seriousness of it was respectful. And the second half, it just, it offended me in in the fact that it was based on a thing where, you know, poli- a, a tragedy where police officers and civilians had, had been brutalized and died. Things like that, there's always seemed to have been something about halfway through a Korean film on Netflix, there's something that doesn't sit right in terms of the way to handle it. The Call, which is a, a newish film, and it was due for release in Korea. It premiered, you know, at, at the big festival, but it was never f- properly released because of the pandemic. Netflix stepped in and said, we'll put it on. And I'm so glad they did because it's by far the best Korean contemporary horror film I've seen on Netflix and it's one of the best contemporary Korean horror films over the last couple of years in general. Um, It's about a young woman who returns home to grudgingly look after her mother who's dying of cancer in hospital. She moves into her old home and she immediately starts getting these strange phone calls from a girl who it ends up is in a different time period and the horror begins. Um, I'm not going to tell you anything else about it. Uh, That's not what this sort of thing's about. It's about you going and checking it out. So if you've got Netflix, I can't recommend the call highly enough. Um, it stars Parshani, who's a huge, huge star and a huge favorite actress of mine. Give it a look. Horror as contemporary horror should be that pays respect to classic Korean cinema as well. She's also the girl, like the second survivor in the other Korean uh, hot Netflix movie Alive, uh, right? Yes. You know, she probably played similar ages, but certainly appeared a bit bit younger in Alive uh, and uh, and I think the actress was uh, somewhat closer to thirty in age. <laughs> yeah, she, she's 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 sort of as far as I can remember. Um, I think she she is late twenties. Yeah. But you know, over, over the years, she's played young women that are barely out of their teens and stuff, and she's always got away with it because she she does look effervescent and very 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 young. So I mean, same with the guy in Alive. I'm sorry, I don't remember his name. Uh, uh, the male uh, survivor. Who de- who's like a, a teenage gamer uh, who's uh, in his house uh, on his own and then the zombie breakout happens. And he, lo- he looks very different. He has blonde hair, sh- short hair. And, uh, you know, he, uh, they, he, he comes off as young. I think he was older than her, as a matter of fact. Yeah, probably. Probably very much. <laughs> so it's like mind blown. Uh, you know, it's not just the hair, but uh, it's, the, it's the acting of it all. Yeah, totally. It's the whole persona, really. And that's a fun film too, Alive, uh, for a zombie movie to even appear uh, fun or engaging and somewhat fresh and exciting. That's uh, that's always good to see. So that was an easy watch and a, and a good, fun, entertaining, sometimes tense watch. Not uh, terribly scary, but uh, for a genre that you can feel desensitized towards, uh, Alive or hashtag Alive. 
is uh, is a good watch as well, in my opinion. And as a very, very final, complete tangential point, any of you who don't have Netflix but have Amazon Prime and you're interested in some sort of a, a, a zombie deal that's slightly different, that steps away from the norm, Amazon Prime has a film called The Odd Family Zombie on Sale was the original title. I think it's it's now as Zombie on Sale or Zombie for Sale. Um, it stars uh, Jung Jae Young. Um, who's one of my favourite male actors, you know, full stop. And it's about a family who who find a zombie and uh, they they try to find a way to keep it alive without it being able to eat them. Um, there is uh, Addiction to Cabbage is featured. Um, <laughs> there are, you know, saucepans and on heads are featured as, as the zombie plague attacks humongously funny film as a lot of uh jung jay young's films are but you know if you've got amazon prime and you're looking for some two hours of silly deliberately silly escapist fun check it out it's well worth looking at you said jung jay young and i said i mean doesn't matter doesn't matter <laughs> i exactly we feel exactly the same way i think we always have about that you know at any rate, uh, let's uh, get on with it, um, the, the, the Memento Mori episode. And let me first tell you a little of uh, what's coming up here in the show. And in case you want to navigate around uh, the episode, uh, there are timestamps in the show post. But uh, we'd be happy to have you all throughout in linear fashion, even if the movie isn't linear. In the background section to Memento Mori, we'll uh, talk of its choice to go with um, LGBT content for its horror ghost scenario and how that affected the film and we'll also briefly touch upon the careers of the two directors uh, behind this uh, as well as the film's box office reception and uh, awards uh, because this was an awarded film and we then conclude by reviewing the film so Memento Mori from 1999, a plot from uh, uh, Wikipedia. Uh, the film revolves uh, around a relationship between two high school students, uh, the character of Yo Shi Eun, played by Lee Young Jin, and Min Hyo Shin, played by Park Ye Jin. As the two girls become romantically involved, their taboo relationship causes them to be marginalized by the other students. Unable to cope with the social pressures of uh, having a lover of the same gender, Shi Eun tries to distance herself from the increasingly dependent Hyo Shin. She reacts poorly to Shi Eun's changed attitude, viewing it as both a betrayal and rejection and consequently uh, commits suicide by jumping off the school roof. And this is me, the movie, by the way, so that's no spoiler. And we'll end the plot synopsis right there because um, then it kicks off, I suppose. So, although known as Whispering Corridors to colon Memento Mori, uh, it might appear that way in, in places. Um, uh, the 1990 stall- 1999 installment of the Whispering Corridors film high school horror film series shares genre to a degree and setting it's a school of sorts a girl school of sorts but it's otherwise not connected to the first film and uh, as we established when talking of whispering corridors none of them recycle uh, characters that have appeared elsewhere and such so they they really made a decision uh, to just let them be standalone which which, which is cool but uh, you can still it's valid to place them in the same box at at the same uh, time uh, a topic that crops up immediately when looking up Memento Mori is the fact that it's said to be the first commercial Korean film to depict lesbian characters. 
which is an open-minded choice uh, and uh, they don't do it for uh, for the sake of uh, to, to get males in there to go like <laughs> but it's you know it, it's a sensitive choice uh, but it restricted the film from wide release uh, from its uh, you know its teenage audience was kind of shut out uh, I gather so let's expand a little on that with this narrative and character choice and content uh, because the, the 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 central focus is their romance really what 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 was it uh, that uh, was here that uh, meant it would be restricted and younger audiences w- wouldn't wouldn't be able to attend. I mean, they did it get a higher rating, restricted distribution as a result of this, or what really happened here in the wake of making Memento Mori? This, this is quite a big story. Um, any of you that listened to our discussion a couple of weeks ago, depending on release dates, on Whispering Corridors know that it was seen as hugely controversial because it, of its depiction of the school system. Memento Mori carried that on deliberately um, because Kim Tae Young, one of the main directors, actually was invited to create Whispering Corridors too, as, as, without a name. Um, so he actually accessed Whispering Corridors and took it further. And if you think of the very much more subtle idea of lesbian same-sex relationships that that poke their head up in it um he was bound to take it further but the problem was that um once he was asked to do it he got in touch with a guy that he had been working with on short films for a while director mi kyu dong um and they decided to do it together there are two directors um they made the film in 30 days that's it that's all it took and it took months and months and months for them to get through the censors we spoke briefly on social media messaging last night or the night before kenny and i um when kenny had just seen memento mori for the first time and he said oh 98 minutes long why isn't it two hours because we've always had this ongoing joke about why Korean films are always two plus hours. Memento Mori was two hours long, but in going through the censors on numerous occasions, scenes were cut. Sexuality in terms of the the girl to girl and even between male and female, and that's all I'll say about that at this point, were toned down and then cut out. Um, The film had just under 25 minutes completely cut and thrown on the floor to allow it to get a rating at all and at that point it was allowed a, a 12 plus rating which is sort of an exaggerated pg w- wouldn't it have been able to get through with a like the highest adult rating or that or slash would that just mean commercial suicide that would just mean commercial suicide because the whole point we mentioned a little bit i don't want to repeat myself too much but in case anybody didn't hear the first podcast you know at this time up to this point the only people really attending Korean cinemas were middle-aged women while their husbands were at work, you know, their kids were at school. This move towards the late 90s and early 2000s into the new Korean cinema wave was to try and drag younger people in. If you then alienate the entire age craft, the age group that a film's based on, you're, you're sort of, you are, you're committing suicide because none of the people it, it immediately effects and relates to can go and the only people that could see it if it was released as a you know an 18 or whatever 18 plus only people over 18 could go and see it and yeah they'll remember it but if you can appeal to 
people that are that are the age group of the actual characters you've got you're bringing in yet another demographic so i think it was their aim to get it to a point where it could be seen by you know contemporaries to the young actresses they had to pull out all the stops to do that um it does have to be said it's content was still deemed as controversial as it gets because there's no mistake in that you know they don't uh, shy away from showing or mentioning that they're in love so it's a central focal point of the story so it's not like they managed to like sweep that under the rug and now it's okay to release i actually when i rewatched it i rewatched it with that question in my head to see how i felt about it you know so many years after having seen it and for a while Yes, they say they love each other, and yes, it's it's obvious that they're very close. But for a while, you can all you could almost blink yourself into thinking this is just a deep, deep friendship. And of course, it isn't, and it it ultimately is shown that that's not the case. But it's so hidden anyway, even though it's right in your face. That's how they got away with it, and it's in fact how future films would also get away with it. They learnt to hide behind genre, hide behind fantasy to separate things from reality. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that as we go along. And and I mean, I, I kind of hit, hit this in a, in a later question, but if because we talked about the fact that this took a while to get approved at the rating they were aiming for commercially. I mean, had they completely refused and stood their ground, in your estimation, could, could they have faced something as grave as a ban on the movie that it's unreleasable? We're not going to let you. Not for the content that we see on screen. And I would imagine, even though, as I say, the guts of 25 minutes were cut, I would have assumed it was more of the same not pushing it towards a completely sexual side of things or a blatant sexual side of things. If you look at the relationships in the film, the, the one that's, that's shown to definitely be sexual is is between a male and a female. And as again, that's all I'll say about it. But there's no real mention of the act, if you like, between the two girls. It's it, It's much more a loving thing. How much more than that those cutscenes had, we'll never know. But if you consider that this was made in 1999, and in 1999 we also saw the release of a, a very classic controversial film called Yellow Hair about two young women who decide they they like each other, they like older men, and they like the act, if you will, and they they set out to follow their pleasures and that's that's essentially what their deal is it does have actual visual sexual content in it but aside from that just the 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 blatantness of them you know will do anything with anyone got it banned for decades to the extent where when it was eventually released it was still it still had scenes that were blurred or darkened out if if momentum mori had taken it to that more graphic more blatant blatant level it could have easily faced a similar ban just as yellow hair did just as lies did when it talked about bdsm and there, there, there's actually um 
evidence of, of one scene in that, that isn't in the movie, but it's in the trailer. There, there's a brief shot of the girls sharing a bath, but uh, they're, they're not in each other's arms or anything. Uh, you know, they're, they're facing each other. And you can see brief, uh, like, uh, behind-the-scenes sh- shots of it in the making of. Uh, and I don't know if, it, if they still uh, made any other promotional materials, but uh, if you watch the Korean trailer, that's uh, one piece of excised... Uh, footage that isn't there uh, it doesn't suggest any nudity either because uh, i don't think yeah uh, and it really the story wasn't meant as a as a hugely sexual story it never really felt that way watching it in its compromised form if you will indeed and and as we're quite soon to cover you know the the relationships between schoolgirls at all girls schools were very close a lot closer than you would think in terms of your schoolmates, be they male, female, whatever. Um, so the idea of two of them sharing a bath, okay, it points to something, but it doesn't necessarily say that's what it is. They could easily just be friends, being close, and just, you know, it, it, you could almost reread it, but obviously the censors thought you can't reread it too much, so we'll just put it on the floor and they just missed the trailer and who knows uh, how the directors and producers actually worked uh, even before presenting the movie before censors maybe they felt like we might as well lose this scene because it's not going to stay anyway Kim Tae-young said while they were shooting over the 30 day period they did tone it down because they were anticipating what the censors would want so it, it, it came out somewhere whether be it them or the censors or both but it was all for the benefit of the censors and I'm supposed to bring a further perspective to LGBT content in South Korean films at the time. It, it said that there was certainly an increased visibility and awareness of uh, that movement in the 90s. Uh, but if such content, as we talked of, made it into uh, films, you know, if it was blatant and uh, very on front street, uh, then you would get into trouble. So, uh, sadly, but m- m- makers then had to be crafty, I suppose. Uh, so, in order to get something in there, at the very least, and add a lower rating. So what Momentum Mori and perhaps other movies did was to frame a relationship like this around, um, and or rather surrounded with genre content, such as horror and uh, the supernatural this time. So but by blending in a fantasy and uh, maybe tense setting, you could uh, dilute it and perhaps have a chance to pass uh, census. In this case, that that approach obviously didn't work <laughs> because uh, so, so much was removed. Uh, and, and this movie isn't all out you know, from frame one and for 97 more minutes horror all the time behind every door. There's a scare. And uh, so other movies might have been more crafty in that regard. But uh, uh, as Paul also uh, talked of... Uh, this treatment of horror in the series uh, that we saw in Whispering Corridors and here in Memento Mori, it also broke with uh, tradition in a way. We have no fox spirits here or fox ghosts or anything. And it certainly mimics somewhat the Western style of ghost stories or other horror content. And uh, But but it also stuck to, to female ghosts. Uh, you know, the, the, and the longer-running tradition of uh, such in Korean cinema had to do with ghosts having a past repression in heterosexual relationships, uh, you know, before Memento Mori happened, you, you would see that in movies, and that created the revenge cycle once that story got going. But Whispering Corridors and the series, uh, up until this point, it turned away from from that, from from family, and towards friendship instead, and then set their sights on depicting friendships between teenage schoolgirls. There's no males here, 
So there, there, there is a change here and, uh, and a more diverse approach. Uh, and therefore you can bring in, I suppose, uh, LGBT content a little bit more if you're open-minded. Uh, I don't know any of this stuff, but m- maybe, you know, the the education system and general information out there in society was getting better and the LGBT movement was getting a firmer grip uh, in uh, society. But, uh, you know, you, you had uh, still a social structure. It was all girls. There was no uh, there was no males and therefore you, you would curb sexuality, I suppose. Uh, that was, you know, the structure in real life and certainly something you saw in uh, Whispering Corridors. There was no hint at lesbian relationships uh, here. But, but by doing that, but by depicting it in this movie, it would lead to social contact between the same genders and that being normalized at the same time. Then that's a point I'm coming to. That. And I suppose by knowing that, that there's an all-female social structure here, why would it be impossible that um, two women, two girls, would fall in love at the same time? Uh, you know, you normalize the same gender contact and uh, that made the film act filmmaker sort of, sort of craft an easier path as I suppose from social intimacy to romantic uh, intimacy we, we, which isn't a bad idea at all it's a very open-minded and diverse idea they don't do this for um, uh, for exploitation's sake or anything and it wouldn't be a stretch I think uh, uh, for the audience to go with that story to go with that story because I think if you if you set that firmly in place knowing it from real life that uh, this is the social structure uh, in an all-girls school. You make a movie about it. You make two movies about it. You, it's it's nothing to adjust to, necessarily. So I think the filmmakers felt that wh- why not write it as this story? Because um, it wouldn't be a stretch. It wouldn't be um, a, a strange choice to, to feature a lesbian relationship. Uh, and that would be... You know, easy to relate to, and then you have a ghost story to, uh, you know, you well, you have romance, and then you have a ghost story to relate to at the same time. So you have romance and uh, horror, ghost hauntings in one. And uh, in in my mind, reading that, writing that, uh, it it shouldn't be hard to adjust to. It shouldn't be hard to get through viber sensors. But uh, you know, speaking of that, then how. You know, we're going to talk about box office and such, but Memento Mori is remembered for this content uh, and, and certainly its story strand of uh, horror. But in, in your eyes, uh, if you want to add some further context to what I just talked about, what, what impact did this choice of featuring lesbian characters uh, have on Memento Mori's reception and, and legacy in your eyes? In, it's certainly in terms of legacy, it, it uh, had a huge impact. Kim Tae Young, as a director, as a a screenwriter as a, a man who thinks did a huge favor to Korean cinema in general to go back just a little bit <laughs> a little bit to the uh, Joseon era the the really uh, you know historical Korea that's when the idea of same sex relationships were put to be inappropriate wrong Kim Tae-young had read a thing about a, a movement that was has later been called neo uh, confucianism from back in those times and the the leaders of those times wanted they were aware of same sex relationships as they were in the 90s as they were in the 2000s but their idea was to make those relationships invisible they actually said being paraphrased that they wanted same-sex relationships to be as ghosts and kim tae young took that phrase and thought well we're doing a ghost story this is exactly what we need to show that that this 
same sexist lesbianism is being seen as a ghost because we've got a ghostly figure. And that's where he got the idea for his his narrative on Memento Mori. And in doing that, in hiding the idea that wasn't ultimately his idea in the first place, but in hiding the idea of the same sex behind the veil of horror, behind the veil of a, a ghost story separating it from fantasy from reality um, other directors jumped on the chance and within a couple of years you had films like Bungie jumping on their own you had a bizarre love triangle and and, and all these new Korean, fil Korean cinema films about off normal relationships or same sex relationships hidden behind massive humour or genre started to not become the norm but started to appear which had just hadn't been the case before and if it hadn't been for Kim Tae-young doing what he did Korean cinema would have progressed a lot more slowly so Memento Mori in terms of its legacy hugely hugely influential in saying what nobody wanted to say but everybody was aware of you, you know yeah I, I didn't prep you for this but in your estimation if you made a movie like this today would you run into the same issues with having disapproved you think not to any sort of similar degree you'd get a higher rating but the that whole idea now has become not accepted as much as it should be in terms of people with traditional values but certainly you know you look back to 2000 and 2012 i think 2013 and you'd films like white Night, which is not the same as White Night with Sonia Jin's different film, uh, but it's it's a you know it's a, a, a deals with homosexuality and same sexuality. They they can get away with it as long as it's respectfully done. I mean, if you make a full on like a movie like Lies, uh, you, you're gonna regardless of what era we're talking of, uh, it, it, it's such an openly blatant sexual movie is going to run into sense of trouble wherever it goes uh, i know that but even if you, you do it do it mildly and respectful i mean there, there's going to always be conservative voices out there and sometimes those are in power positions when, when it comes to film censorship kindly kind, kind of I, I, and there's i mean there's the other side of thing when you look back at korean cinema over the years for forever or for nearly ever, until the new Korean cinema wave, any female characters especially who were, you know, following their own sexual desires always had to be punished, always. You know, from way back in 1919 with the earliest films right up to The Housemaid in 1960, right through to 1996 with uh, The Adventures of Mrs. Park. It was the first film where a, a sexually voracious woman, whether her veracity was towards males or females doesn't matter but that was the first film where a f such a female hadn't been punished um, and even today you're more likely to get away with a sexually charged film or film about adultery if the protagonist mainly the female is is made to pay for her act well, so something just struck me H how much trouble did the handmaiden run into if any that's five years ago the Handmaiden ran into next to no problems whatsoever. Because there's no punishment uh, for, for the females at the end of that film. I remember that much. No, that, that's, that's very, very true. But when you look at the actual characters, you could almost say that even though they aren't innocent, they're the good guys. You know, it's the males that are the bad guys. So uh, that in itself has 
changed everything. If you look back at, say, yellow hair, it's it's the girlies that are the, the naughty ones. Um, if Even if you look back at Memento Mori, because they're stepping out and showing their affection for each other, they, at that point, were seen as the bad people. So that that's the sort of change it's more about context these days and there's a lot of a lot more sexuality that you'll get away with in general than you would have back then you know something like the handmaiden virtually no problems whatsoever and a lot of that comes down to the fact that it was based on a a, a well thought of international text and it was helmed by you know a, a, someone who has helped korean cinema more than many, many other directors, and that's Park Chan-wook. Which doesn't make it fair, though, uh, to, towards those who struggle with somewhat similar content. But um, that, yeah. that is very true. That is uh, very true. But, but yeah, because uh, he wasn't shy about sexuality in the Handmaiden either. I mean, it's uh, very much on Front Street. and uh, uh, it, it wasn't meant for the 12 rating, though. I obviously understand that uh, with uh, uh, quite copious amounts of nudity. We'll get back to Memento Mori and how it was received by the audience, but uh, we'll uh, get back uh, now to what uh, Paul has mentioned, that this was held by two directors, uh, Kim Tae-young and Min Kyu Dong. Uh, the former made his uh, directorial debut here and uh, has since uh, directed the generational drama Family Ties from 2006 and 2010's uh, Late Autumn, which was a co-production between South Korea, America, Hong Kong Ch- and China and starred Tang Wei of uh, Lust Caution fame, talking about another controversial movie. Family Ties was a uh, remake of, uh, pardon me, uh, Late Autumn was a remake of uh, the Lee Man He 1966 drama, a movie that is reportedly lost. So, you know, to, to make it at all appear again, let's uh, let's remake it, uh, I suppose. And Lee Man He was the director of The Road to Sampo, which uh, we've covered on the show. So do you have any further notes on Kim Tae-young and uh, that trajectory from Memento Mori to Family Ties to that multi-language international co-production uh, that happened in 2010? Very much so, very much so. Um, it, up to the point when Memento Mori was made, the other director of the film, uh, Min Kyu Dong, was actually seen as the bigger name. And it was only the critical reception, the acclaim he got from Family Ties, which, funnily enough, is a family drama about separation and coming together and blah, blah, blah. Um, it sort of made his name to to the point where going back, everybody now mentions him first and then Mee Kyu Dong after. Leading up to Memento Mori, he'd already started making short films. He teamed up with Min Kyu Dong to make more short films um, as his career went on. The interesting thing is, Memento Mori was released in 1999. Family Ties was released in 2006, but he was actually working on it, on the script, from not the second, but nearly the minute he finished with Memento Mori. There were just constant, constant delays. As he was working through it, he was also working on a documentary about a Korean-Japanese dancer from North Korea, Uh, At 62 years of age, he did a rockumentary, if you like, um, where he followed a rock band round for two months, a documentary on on their their tour, all while he was trying to finish the script for Family Ties. He had signed up to a main company to get the film released, finished the script, gave it to them after four years, and they turned it down. So he had to go and find another company that would accept it. And that took another couple of years. So you can say he was just doing short films, but he actually wasn't. He was working and working and working towards his next film. And the same thing happened with Leo Autumn. 
after Family Ties was released, he made a few more short films and he he decided he wanted to remake this film. And he, he looked and looked for a company that could find it. And it took him years to do so. And he could only get it done through an international thing. And that's why it came about. And I think it was a, a great move because the remake, I, I have to be honest, I haven't seen Lee Manhee's original because it is lost. Um, but I've heard a lot about it. And I'm really glad that the remake has been made because I think it, it really does justice to a film that should still be around. And maybe as uh, the Korean film archive does its uh, unarchiving, uh, I suppose, and maybe there's a chance of um, of uh, uh, late autumn uh, being discovered. You know, so. you never know. I mean, there are often films being found in you know uh, attics in in China and stuff over the years. So you never know when something might turn up. And uh, as for the other director here of Memento Mori, Min Kyu Dong, uh, also made his feature debut here, as uh, we discussed, uh, after directing uh, several short films uh, prior in the 90s. Uh, and he has kept uh, active uh, as well, directing the romance All About Love from 2005, Antique, uh, In the End is My Beginning, uh, which started as a short film and then was expanded to feature length, and Her Story from 2018 is the last movie to date. And w- when I read about... Uh, him and the content of his uh, movies. Uh, I notice he has dealt and continued to dealt daily movies exploring sexuality and and homosexuality post um, Memento Mori. So has this remained more of a constant thread, or has he sort of rocked back and forward in terms of what themes and content he has picked for exploration? He's definitely rocked back and forward, but he's also kept a theme going at various points in his career. Um, you know, as as you mentioned. He did in the end is my beginning, which which is about a couple. The husband dies. He was having an affair. The the adulteress goes to apologize. She ends up moving in, and they their lesbianism is a, a theme that appears. In 2015, he did the treacherous about uh, a period drama about a tyrant king who. Uh, it's all about sexuality. It's all about his carnal pleasure and the turnout of that. He did a film called Antique, which is also known as Antique Bakery, about four guys who set up a cake shop on the premise of getting women. But one of the guys actually had a crush on one of the other guys when they were young. So he, over his career, he constantly goes back to this. But in the interim, you know, he goes back to horror because he's done three short film sections called Horror Stories 1, Horror Stories 2 and Horror Stories 3. You know, so that still appeals to him. And when a, a big, important story hits that appeals to him, he'll step away again and then step back to some sort of sexuality. You mentioned that his latest film was 2018's Her Story. Um, Her Story is a heart breaking film about the idea of comfort women so again i guess there's sexuality there in some shape or form even though it was forced on these poor women during the japanese um, occupation they were forced into uh, providing shall we say services for army people um it's a it's a stunning story it's acclaimed it's it's been awarded left right and center the idea of sex is in his mind but storylines are things that that appeal to him on top of that so the answer to your question in short is both he keeps popping back but he goes elsewhere as well 
And uh, finally, before we get to the review, uh, we discussed that Whispering Corridors uh, was a highly attended film the year before. We, we sort of framed it around uh, the hit that no one expected that, that particular year. So what do we know about the box office for Memento Mori a year later? Memento Mori is a very strange little kettle of fish. It was released towards the end of December in 1999, which just before the end of the year. And when it was first released, it was released in one cinema only. And that run, it earned $52,000, the equivalent of $52,000 in its short run. If you compare that with Whisper and Corridor's continued run, it earned $3.5 over its run. So in early 2000 or sort of early to just before mid-2000, Memento Mori was re-released in more cinemas and it had a better impact, but it certainly didn't even come close to Whisper and Corridors and finding out the actual figures for that extra step is, is an almost impossible thing to do because it's seen as a 2020 and all anybody talks about is films that were you know, initially released in 2020. So it, it had nowhere near the same hit. A lot of that's going to be down to the content a lot of it's going to be down to the controversy and a lot of it's down to the fact that when it was first released, it was released in one single cinema. Why, why is that the thing? Is that a deliberate strategy or just they, they drew a bad lottery number and they, they had to go with that? <laughs> I, I, would, I would hate to say I would think it was much more a deliberate strategy for whatever reason. And I think I mean, it to qualify down- for awards or something like that to, to make sure we, we, we release it in 1999 and then, then we'll come back later in the new year pretty much and the the fact of the matter is um when you look at whisper and corridors which you know didn't have the same sort of sexuality issues it had controversy with this the school line but you know it was released in numerous cinemas you look at wishing stairs um and we'll talk about its content another time but it was released in numerous cinemas as well um i think it's just that because this was so new a concept so new a thing that a lot of cinema chains were frightened you know this was something they'd never dealt with before so i think it was more deliberate to err on the side of caution and that that failed momentum already at the time but it almost did it a favor in hindsight because it became critically acclaimed it became known as an important film one of the most important of the main three because of what it did for korean cinema in general later on and it certainly won some awards as well uh, including internationally uh, first of all the baksang arts awards gave actress uh, park ye jin playing hyo shin the girl who kills herself the Best New Actors Award, uh, the Korean Association of Film Critics, highlighted her and fellow new actors Kim Min Sun playing Mina and uh, Lee Young Jin playing uh, Shi Eun. And uh, the 2001 Slam Dance Festival gave the film the Vision Award for cinematography. So it, it certainly had a life. And I mean, it did, there should be some meaning to the fact that it's a loose interpretation here, but, but I'm going to say it anyway that the, the the name is in circulation. Even I picked up on the fact that they, around this time, Memento Mori is a name that crops up and that's probably something you should pursue. So, And hopefully it's remained so, somewhat strong in circles in, in the Korean film community since then. So 
it never came off as a forgotten movie rather it rather came off as a high profile movie because it was mentioned and that's from my perspective only knowing nothing and that's the completely correct perspective if you look at discussions about the main three whether you call them ghost school horrors or girl school horrors if you look at the main three the one that's always seen as the most famous is memento mori it's always you know those that that are less aware of korean cinema than others will end up saying oh yeah that that series that's memento mori and the other two rather than saying whispering corridors and wishing stairs whereas for someone like me it's the wishing corridor series more um, memento mori has come across as the most noted one the most important of the three and the most famous of the three. And, and no careers were killed in the process either, just because they appeared in this uh, uh, this uh, story. I mean, we, we, we didn't get into it, but I can just imagine that these actresses were at the beginning of their career, and their careers have not stopped since. I'm just taking a guess here. So. Totally, totally. If you give me two quick seconds, um, I, can, I can talk you through a few names that you will actually recognize. If we start off with the main ghostly character, Hyo Shin, um, she's played by a girl called Park Yee Jin. She's probably the least well-known in terms of Korean cinema. She mostly went to TV. Um, her biggest, uh, I guess, notable film in terms of Korean cinema was was a, a silly little, you know, sexual comedy called Wet Dreams 2, which was a sequel to a much more famous film, funnily enough, called Wet Dreams. But if you look at Kim Min Sun and I'm going to take a little aside here because she's now called Kim Gyuri, and she plays Mina, who's the the main the girl who finds the diary and gets obsessed with the story of the two girls. Under this film, she's known as Kim Minson. Um, she changed her name officially in 2009, apparently because Kim Gyuri was what she'd always been called as a kid. But I think it's more likely that she uh, was was trying to distance herself from. And a, a statement she'd made in 2008 that ended up, you know, almost ruined her career. She got sued and her at the time, her agent said she'd changed her name to get a fresh start. So she has out of maybe all but one of the main actresses gone on to a huge career. She's really well known for a very important film period drama called Portrait of a Beauty. Um, she was in Imquad Text Revivre from, I think, 2018, which is an, an astonishing film about an older man who's out of place who falls in love with a young woman who happens to be our Kim Gyuri. She was in Antique Bakery, um, and she was most recently in a, a film that's had huge acclaim called The Gangster, The Cop and the Devil. If we look at the main girl who plays the, the lover, the character is called Shiyun. She's played by Lee Dong Jin, and she's been in quite big films. But you know, she's more indie girl. She's been in Boomerang Family, which I actually provided an interview on the the UK DVD for. But that's by the by. She's been in Yoga. She's been in a little independent, really twisted little film um, about love and death called Mellow, etc., etc. But the biggest star of them all is one of the supporting characters. The character is Jiwon. And she's played by Gong Hyojin. And if you watch Memento Mori, you'll see she's the one with the little short boyish bowl haircut. She has the video camera initially in the uh, school, uh, school scenes, yeah. And she's the one with all the little sarky comments and 
you know, jumping and running about and having a great time. Um, she's she's become huge. We talked about her recently when we did the podcast on Vol- Volcano High because she's in that. She's been in gangster stories called Guns and Talks. She was in a bizarre love triangle. Um, she was in Family Ties that we've mentioned. And recently she's become a scream queen, if you like. Um, in 2016, she was in an incredible horror film called Missing. And in 2018, she was in another acclaimed great horror called Doorlock about a girl who who finds someone is sneaking into her room at night um, and she can't seem to stop him. Um, very claustrophobic, very well thought of. She's a great actress. And this was one of her very first roles. And uh, let's uh, move on to the review therefore our review notes on memento mori and as for mine i i thought this was impressive uh, mostly because it really does uh, emphasize uh, even after a box office hit that the makers were fine with not doing the more literal whispering corridors too you know electric boogaloo you know we're back and ghost is back you know they they didn't do that they wanted to do something that uh, would stand on its own a bit different Uh, they also uh, wanted to challenge viewers with the said content that, that we mentioned, but also with a fragmented, non-linear narrative that frustrates you if you're not ready for it, but involves once you get the hang of it, which was my situation, because I was kind of confused what, why it was so uh, fragmented, and then I got the hang of it. Oh, wait a minute. Okay, F- uh, br- brief flashing back, and it's not in the same order. Okay, got it now. Got it now, and they, they dealt with it well. And then it mainly uh, involves, uh, you know, as the pieces fall together, then it mainly involves as a youth romance drama with uh, insecurities and fear of what the social structure within the school might do to a pair of girls falling in love and how that results in consequences uh, that are are emotional and spooky. At the very last, at the very tail end, you should play spooky because it doesn't favor that, it doesn't focus on that. And that's a a good thing, but it's not a ham-fisted thing to inject it into the movie. Um, for for me, it wasn't anyway that uh, it was like sort of pasted in, uh, but rather it uh, evolved the, the combination of everything involved. So I, I think it was a good combo that, that got right once more, comparing to Whispering Corridors, if if you uh, if you remember our discussion on that, listeners. So I I, I quite liked it. So um, you know, what's uh, your brief opinion here in this uh, reviewing for the first time in um, fifteen years or whatever? I have two completely different thoughts depending on what age you catch me at. When I first saw Memento Mori way back in the the day when, when I when I was young, I saw it in a group along with Whispering Corridors and Wishing Stairs. And out of the three, I find it my least favourite. I was kind of disappointed because the horror, as you've said, is really an addendum if you like, this is much more a relationship story. So, you know, and I went into this looking at girls school, ghost school horror, and I waited and waited for the horror and I got frustrated by it. So it it came out as my least favorite of the main three. On rewatching it, I'm aware of what, how important it is, where it's coming from. And my opinion changed hugely because I I realize how important it is to the series. If you look at it as the film that it is, what we're dealing with here is a relationship drama, a tragic relationship drama that becomes horrific to lead into the next installment in the series. And it leads in perfectly. As as the end of Memento Mori came up, I, I almost 
straight away wanted to reach for Wishing Stairs to, even though it's a completely separate story, it drew me towards that. So you get, you you, you got to put the monkey's paw in between. We've we've already talked about that. Like uh, yeah, before totally. Wishing Stairs, listen to Christopher Lee uh, tell the short story Monkey's Paw, and then go rewatch uh, your precious uh, Wishing Stairs. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So I, as a, a a much more mature individual um, who's aware of how important the ideas in this film are, if you can immerse yourself in the story as it's presented, it's fulfilling. It it really is fulfilling, and you but you will have to wait for horror but you will get horror in the end but that's not what this film is about indeed it isn't and that's to it's uh it, it's places it in the plus uh column uh for for me i mean it, it, it kind of hints at that, that it's gonna be um a full-on massacre massacre considering like the vague exposition we hear in voiceover during the opening credits as we see the diary being written and uh, crafted because it's a big arts and crafts project that the diary and there's mentions of girls being killed and uh, then there's visions of shared suicide by uh, drowning but a bond is broken someone opts out and uh, we don't know if this sequence is literal or not i'm gonna i'm not gonna tell you if it's literal or not uh, and it's also you know, it doesn't take 40 minutes to even hint at the fact that these girls uh, are, you know, as you said, it, it it doesn't seem like, oh, they're super, they, super duper, totally romantically involved. But I, I, I sort of got that. And, and therefore, the movie, my, my point is that the movie uh, is upfront with it pretty uh, early on. But but the, the, there are reflections, it seems like. Uh, and we don't know if uh, one of the characters is reflecting on what they want to do, if they want to kiss the other characters, if it's a fantasy like a a deeply felt infatuation that hasn't blossomed yet Uh, and by this point i didn't know how the narrative would unfold uh, technically of course i know non-linear i mean i've i've seen pulp fiction i've seen whatever like it's not a new thing but i wasn't prepared for it and it felt a little bit like what's that flash you know and then we're back into the present so uh, but but um uh, it's probably my experience rather than the shared experience of everyone who saw this going in blind you know it's just i'm I'm a bit more dumb than a regular viewer what i wanted to ask does it seem to you that this um appears a little bit more slick technically versus whispering corridors uh has a korean cinema taken a jump technically in a year very much so i i think kim Young especially did a, a a phenomenal job on this and the non-linear aspect to me almost went in conjunction with the whole non-normal relationship. You know, their relationships off kilter from from traditional ideas and the the non-linear narrative from a, a normal perspective is a bit jarring to start with until you realize what's going on. And it actually affected Korean cinema in the future as well and for, for forever see flashbacks and, and unnamed flashbacks in Korean cinema right up to present day. So um, this this is hugely slick. I think it's incredibly well done. It's it's it, a phenomenally well acted as well. You know, it's a bit brighter movie too uh, in terms of uh, the cinematography. Lots of it takes place in, in, in lit rooms at daytime and, uh, and the cinemato- cinematography is quite a bit more slick. Yeah. You know, granted, there's a loose style employed here for the handheld home video footage that is being shot and hence you know there's pov moments although they didn't switch to video for it i don't know if they were even aware of that that they should 
that the that they should have the feed from the video camera be what we see but you know it, it's a choice i suppose uh, so, some movies literally do that that, that it's uh, yeah. uh, switches to either a, a uh, super duper fancy filter that you can do in post-production or the literal video feed from uh, from the then modern uh, video camera uh, but uh, you know to, talking of the fragmented and non-linear there, there is a choice you know we're in the middle of certain thoughts and feelings, and uh, we, we're not sure if brief cuts, you know, you know what, what they actually reveal at all times. I mean, we, we see brief cuts to the girls hiding in the toilet at one point. So it seems like they were together at one point, that this has progressed to to something. And they, they sort of casual, it's like a casual uh, drop. But also a casual drop is that I very much enjoyed that they, they make a choice to not elaborate on it and certain other things at the end of the movie they don't elaborate on either they trust that we get fed enough information yeah what, what i specifically mean about that a casual drop early in the dialogue about um, i think they're on the roof because it's sort of their safe haven uh, the roof away from uh, everyone else that um, we, we didn't mention that the she that the Shion character she she's hearing impaired. Um, she it seems like one she can't hear uh, from um, out of her right or left ear. What 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 they say sort of casually is that um, I, I keep hearing things, and but but then they sort of playfully go into dialogue areas like yeah like church bells. And and it's a it's playful, but but it's a premonition of an idea of telepathy that the movie introduces certainly features, but I felt very satisfied, Paul, and I don't know what you felt that it wasn't its main frame of mind. Telepathy, telepathy, totes telepathy all the time. They can talk whenever they like. It's a little. It's not an addendum, uh, as the horror is, but it's a little supporting element that I thought was very well used. But also, not uh, they, they, they didn't make it into a sensation that, uh, oh my god, telepathy in the movie. They kept it very low-key. And I thought that uh, played into the sweet aura, almost, of the film, if that makes sense. I think that's exactly the point as well. I couldn't agree more. And I, I love the fact that later on in the film, the, the main... It's hard to say the main character, the, the, the character who becomes obsessed with their relationship from the outside also finds briefly an aspect of of telepathy relating to her and another character and that sort of underlines pointing in certain directions as far as i'm concerned that that underline the whole story and i think that was very intelligently done i'm glad it's done on a on a very gentle quiet level it's like this exclusive bond that they have but it's not a a cheap type of symbolism to, to place that uh, within the confines of a lesbian relationship. It's not like... Uh... Yeah, it's just more like it shows how deep the relationship is. And on that level, I think he handles that beautifully. Um, one scene that keeps coming back to me is a scene where the two of them get in trouble. I think it's after they've been found in the toilets, actually, where they're met, made to go and clean the gym. And, you know, our, our main who will soon be a ghost Hyoshin um is being all serious and um her her lover if you would is just running up and down the gym with two mops going ah! and it's so so amusing and so sweet that 
Hyoshin just accepts her running around like a madman, screaming at the top of her lungs, having the wheel of a time of her life. And it just, it shows a nice, a nice setup to the relationship initially, which just begs the, the obvious pointer that it's not going to end as beautifully as it could have. Um, and I think that's that's very sweet. And I, I think the the beauty of it within themselves at the start and the way they're perceived by others increasingly in, in, in flashback throughout sort of really speaks at what a tragic relationship it is and what a beautiful relationship has been lost. They, they don't play it up as something spooky either. Uh, the, te- uh, the telepathy angle, which, which is a which is a good choice, and at one point, one of the characters they opts out of, of using it to communicate at all, which plays into the heartbreaking angle that uh, they, she chooses not to um, adhere to their special thing, uh, and they, they, it's one of the reasons why they grow apart. They, they, there's other flat out refusals, you know, physical refusals that everyone is there to see, but. Uh, that's one little hint of of uh, refusal. Refusal. The, the, the shared diary, by the way, is an amazing arts and crafts uh, uh, creation. Absolutely. I mean, it, 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 whoever designed that deserves a raise. That, that's an amazing arts and crafts uh, creation, um, and uh, you know, there's illustrations, but also attachments like pills, uh, gummy bears that I thought was like, is that drugs? <laughs> but it turns out like, it's it's supposedly poison, uh, but but uh, it might not be poison as a matter of fact. It's uh, it's it's playful uh, uh, diary banter if you will, but it also it, it verges on um, dark and edge. We, we talked about the shared suicide and certainly that comes up in dialogue uh, between these two tragic lovers. Uh, whether one of them is serious about it or not, that that's the, in, the, the that's a part you're not uh, secure about. You know, it it, it it's playful, but uh, then it turns ominous because um, you know. Speaking of the gummy bear, later in the diary, there's a there's a sense that there, there's an antidote uh, present for it, so it might have been poison. So it it starts to approach, approach like. Uh, like girl school horror fatal attraction vibes, but it, it doesn't go down those routes. It it it's it, it's playful about how this relationship is formed. Uh, they don't break up because of hatred towards each other that she's evil or anything. That that's not the setup at all. So it's uh, uh, it's more suggested that it's obviously it's taboo and it's driving them apart because it's um, it's taboo and coming out in this girl school is uh, possibly social. Social suicide. So to say to to use the wrong word, but that's exactly what it is. Do you, in the end, I suppose, go back to the non-linear? Think it's uh, terrifically challenging, or or once you realized what they're doing in terms of a non-linear narrative, that it settles in quite quite nicely. I mean, it's not an art house sensibility we're talking of here, but uh, can you see that it can prevent a little bit of confusion if you're not ready for it? I I can I can guarantee you that that if those not ready for it will be a little bit confused to begin with but most people certainly i even on first watch was able to click in quite quickly anybody that that's a big fan of korean cinema will click on even quicker because they're so used to flashbacks that aren't initially obvious as flashbacks so you're almost expecting them in a korean film of, of today 
in terms of this, it's easy to click into. And, you know, if you happen to be watching it on DVD, it's just a case of, yeah, maybe pop back five minutes just to be aware that it's on the way and you'll be able to follow it easily from there on in, as far as I'm concerned. You know, it's their vibe you're watching it for, the character of Hyoshin uh, and uh, Shion, and you're not longing for creepy stuff at all. This movie doesn't even have like a boom horror thing at start like Whispering Corridors did. It, it has a boom, oh my god, they they try to commit suicide together uh, in that uh, underwater sequence. It has that boom at the start. But I wasn't longing for creepy stuff and that's that's the skillful nature of the writing of a dual direction here. That uh, It's about um, how this uh, relationship uh, is unfolding and... Uh, then we can be delighted by sort of natural interaction in the classroom between all the girls uh, as they have they do physical checkups not individually but together and you know that scene where they do do uh, measurements you know chest measurements and <laughs> the girls in the background are like chanting flatty 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 and in fact she she later even gets called flatty by one of the teachers you know <laughs> i mean but, but but it's almost good nature that uh, because they do this out in the open anyway, and uh, it's not uh, something that's going to send her spiraling into suicidal thoughts or anything. So, but but my point is on a technical level that like that group direction, uh, it's quite fun how they stage that. It's always very loose, and I'm sure it wasn't rigid in terms of uh, you need to deliver that dialogue perfectly after you do the chant. You know, just be yourself kind of thing. And uh, but but they're they're within that fun. It's really neat how they inject the new. Uh, you know, I mean, we won't spoil the entire movie, of course, but they, they, this isn't the end of the movie. How they inject the new telepathic connection during the hearing test i think that was excellent because it uh, takes place non-verbally as the character mina uh, well, well shion is uh, having the hearing test performed on the side of her um, i think it's her right side that uh, she uh, that's hearing impaired and and she can't hear the the vibrating thing they use to test her hearing and mina raises um, raises her arm to to assist her and therefore shion so, gets that and gets uh, I don't know if she ever get, uh, got a pause but she got a hint of um, where where the vibration is that, that is happening and I thought that was uh, rather wonderful because again they don't emphasize the, telepath- uh, the, the telepathy with a huge ominous uh, atmosphere in the movie um, it's a bit of a surprise and then there's no five-minute dialogue about you, you. You can speak to me like that. I totally can. Then we can speak like that all the time now, we're friends. It goes unmentioned for stretches, but it's established well enough for us to understand whenever it comes back into the movie, what is going on. Yeah. And, and I thought that was neat. That was a really neat balance, actually. All in all, the, the understated nature of the way the story progresses is one of its its huge plus points. You know, there is no huge exposition it's just you're given pieces of information as you go along and gradually you you're those are added to by the flashbacks to to give you the full story and realize things in general in the school aren't ever anywhere near as sweet as they first appeared even though they really did appear beautifully sweet and and fun um and i think that's that's ominous in its own right and it works it works perfectly it's 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 very well executed and and of course that that um, plot line about uh, Hyoshin committing su- committing suicide is uh, is gonna happen and uh, 
as opposed to filmmakers are safe and secure in in their own uh, uh, in their own movie that uh, it's okay to echo horror here. I mean, even even when they uh, see you know the bloody uh, bloody corpse there, she has a devious glare about her. You know, when they when the body is discovered, uh, they're sort of happy to echo familiarity, and uh, it seems like that that's the drop of the non-linear closer to the suicide. But it actually is not that they they keep that uh, throughout the movie, and. Uh, you're even more in tune with it. Um, yeah. Uh, the more intense it gets towards the end, it's very intense. The, the cutting back and forward. Uh, my, my my point is, it uh, it didn't feel like a pasted on thing to have horror here to have uh, cliches and tropes like oh my god, she's glaring at you and she's gonna come back as a ghost because she saw you. Anything. It's it, it it's sort of delightful that uh, they're 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 fine with. Uh, Echoing that, and and uh, but also at the same time they talk they talk about five prior deaths that they never really elaborate on, as far as I could see, and that's okay too. We we are not to assume that these deaths have happened in rapid fashion or anything, but but rather it's a part of the history of the school that there are cases of suicide, and it might be closed down, but that's not really the main element of the story either that the governments are closing in. On uh, on the school, but rather Paul mystery solving beats enter very much so. You know, and and from my point of view, that also is a really nice lead into the ideas it talks about in terms of the school system, in terms of the fact that this time when the film was made and subsequently, you know, the number of, of suicides in in schools it was and has been you know, ludicrously high because of the pressures put on kids because of, of how intense the school system is. And and that's also very understated. And in fact, when the darker side of the relationships between teachers and pupils is brought in, just as it did with Whispering Corridors, the whole misogyny and, and inappropriate relationships, it flows out of it gently and completely naturally. And to my mind, really adds to the whole story and indeed the story of Hyoshin and and why she chooses to take her own life, essentially. I I think it's beautifully put together in a really understated way. It never barks at you. It just informs within a story that's keeping you engaged anyway. And and neither the horror elements bark at us as well. I mean, we get startles, uh, p- people running through the frame and doors being shut. And I mean, heck, there's even a head in a locker at one point. And that, that's obviously far from fresh from a horror cliche perspective. But it was not something that was bothersome in the least. And also at that point, we still don't know the extent of the plot events uh, just pre-suicide and, you know, what led to the suicide. You know, the full extent of the dialogue and interactions there on on the roof. Uh, we, we just know that there will probably be a haunting here, but I'm not quite sure. And this is okay usage of uh, how to transition into into horror. And I mean, of course, we, we get the filtered POV looking down at Mina at one point, you know, in the classroom, like uh, something is hovering above her. That, you know, then, oh, we're going into the haunting thing, but it's uh, it never lost track of uh, its uh, desired balance. Uh, I mean, there's a great shot in that sequence of uh, Mina uh, trying to close the diary. And someone from an outside perspective, another girl, witnesses are trying to shut it and shaking and trembling in distress. 
So it's it isn't just her. It isn't just an hallucination. This seems to affect uh, affect externally. So someone who isn't in possession of the diary. Another neat little sequence. Um, totally, and I, I love the fact that we we also see it from her point of view, where you you see, and again, it's familiar, but you see a hand moving around her face, moving up her leg before we're shown that she's actually sitting on her own and the person looking at her is seeing her shaking and screaming and falling over. So I think it's, again, really nicely handled and just says everything you need to know about it to, to scream out what's going on. Because I think the horror therefore works a lot better even those um, alone in darkly lit bathrooms that, that happens after a brightly lit movie has preceded it. It it works very well because it, it's one it's competently executed, but it the entire movie is still a bit shrouded in mystery. There's no firm explanations of everything, just as the suicide hits us, you know. So it's not like uh, there, there there's still things to experience. There's things uh, facets to uh, be uncovered and examined and followed all up till the final frame, really. Um, yeah. So so therefore therefore. The, the movie had that balance of well, we're on track with our emotional beats and we're on track with our, with our horror beats even if it involves you know flickering lights in the bathroom uh, <laughs> a severed head in a, in a locker in, in a like locker etc yeah. yeah I mean what did you think about that did, did, did you think they were comfortable doing all out horror for a couple of sequences here yeah but I, you know again I don't think I think they deliberately understated it yes in terms of watching it in 2021 it's a lot of it's hugely familiar but they never overplay it i mean the horror yeah it's there and it's it's in your face but it's also reserved this as i've said this isn't even at that point i'm still thinking this isn't a horror film this is this is a a a love a story of of love and tragedy and the tragedy is what's causing this horror and that screamed out for me rather much much more than any you know boom in your face normal thing that's just a horror 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 ever would um i think they hit the beats perfectly the the mixture of timelines for the last 20 30 minutes uh, becomes very involving because the pieces are put in place in a coherent uh, manner uh, and, and up until the end uh, so it's uh, it's a mystery but uh, it's not a repeating pattern of whispering corridors because uh, th- th- this story between these two characters is completely new and uh, we, we engage in the fact that uh, yeah Hyoshin was I mean it's minor spoilers but uh, she was rejected uh, roughly in public and maybe it was not meant as hurtful but these are young girls and there's insecurity and a sense of it doesn't work in public we, we need to play ball in public and we can be us in a closeted environment and that's uh, that's heartbreaking even though Hyoshin seems like a devious character but she really she really is uh, is hurt at the end of the day you know it's a very dagger to the heart kind of moment when she's rejected in public which no one would like. That that leads to that quite expansive haunting for the end stretch. Um, I think, yeah, but I, I won't uh, 
mention much specifics here because obviously the end stretch we're gonna leave unspoiled but uh, i think they, they up the ante technically by staging uh, something bigger than whispering corridors here they play uh, more with uh, with effects they also play with a, that it's literally a, a more expansive haunting uh, that uh, involves the entire school not just two or three uh, characters but at the same time, it is incredibly focused when you when you look when you look at it in hindsight, and I think that's that's a, a beautiful thing as well. I mean, if you look certainly Korean horror in subsequent years, you know, a vengeful ghost was a vengeful ghost, and a lot of people are going to get hit. Hyushin is very selective, and and I think that's beautiful as well. And I love the fact that in in doing the whole contrast between her feelings about the relationship be, being open and in public and Sheehan's feeling it should be behind closed doors. I love the fact that that underlines the whole idea. Again, I'm being a pretentious twat here by saying it, but in terms of society at the time, so many wanted same-sex to be hidden, to be ghosts, and others wanted it to be much more normal so it sort of speaks of everything all within this little story about just two girls and, and, and you're right too that the clarity is here the focus is here but they never resort to a lot of ending dialogue exposition about what you should have done what you should do now and this will solve everything there's chaos and then there's the uh, select scenes where uh, Mina and Shion are uh, on their own and there's a lot uh, there's a ton of silence there a little bit telepathy but a ton of silence there that is still uh, communicated exactly what flaws were committed along the way and and I I quite admire that um, this won't spoil anything but I'm still going to talk a little bit about the ending I admire that a lot is implied about the very end of the film it's a very unspecified ending which you have to work for a little bit but uh, it's very easy to understand what they're implying it's nearly this specialized very uncommercial ending maybe it's a full-on not commercial ending at all but by cutting from one character going up to an area and another character i think following i think we have a white uh, a white out of the frame and then and the ending credits roll over um, an earlier event in that area so that's spoiler free you know if you didn't do your job in terms of providing enough clarity but also underplaying to a degree achieving that balance hopefully drawing in your audience if you hadn't done your job well those two or three beats paul again one character going up to an area another character following you get the white out of the frame and then the the footage uh, as the ending credits roll that could have just been as puzzling as anything like what what happened totally i i have a fair idea of what happened but uh, i might be a little bit wrong but i have a fair idea what uh, happened and nothing else needed to express be expressed in my opinion very much so and i i love the fact that as such the the very very last little coda as the credits are rolling comes across as hugely poignant it just it it moved me much more than an average horror film would and i think that's another plus point in memento mori's favor it makes the beat of um at the end of whispering corridors which we for, 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 it's okay but it makes that beat at the very end of whispering corridors very weak in comparison <laughs> definitely so definitely so this is this is you know pretty acclaimed filmmaking especially for 
you know, two directors whose it was their first feature. That's the end of my notes at any rate. So, uh, in all honesty, I think uh, Whispering Corridors is uh, is uh, very nice to have as this uh, leap of point. But but it's it impressed me more that Memento Mori a year later chose to uh, up the ante by making uh, their job a little bit more difficult. It could have easily been tagged with a literal English title, Whispering Corridors 2. And uh, they might have had a a nice commercial outing, but perhaps it it would have been easy to not challenge yourself. But I I think they certainly did, and that's why I think this has endured and certainly made an impression on me on this first viewing. Very much so. So, uh, any final words from you? I'm very, very chuffed that you were as pleased with it as you were, especially because me as a young man, as I said, I was I was expecting something completely different. And it's only in hindsight that I'm watching it with an open mind in terms of the series that I really I really switched in and immer- was able to immerse, wanted to immerse myself in the beats that are that are hit spot on from start to finish. Was which was wishing stairs always a favorable view for you that clicked in immediately for you? Out of the three, definitely. Yeah. Um, as soon as I watched all three, maybe it will be bad now. <laughs> well, there's there's the there's the question that that shall be answered yes. when we drag all you guys back to to listen to our our chat about it. But yeah, instantly when I watched all three, uh, wishing stairs stood way high for me i guess over the years you gradually diminish your thoughts on the other one because you haven't seen them for so long so it was nice to re-immerse in memento mori and realize how important it is to the the series as a whole whether you're talking about the main three or bringing in the voice or blood pledge or even the latest one the humway it's, it's hugely important so as for availability of uh, memento more there's no sign of a blu-ray but as paul mentioned uh, tartan released uh, dvd editions for the uk as well as in the us uh, and they are still available at very cheap prices because i got them uh, there was also different box sets uh, for the us and uk it looks like the former in the us um, at this point uh, collects uh, if uh, Tartan releases of the first three, yeah. but uh, the UK DVD, the, the current DVD UK set, it might have had a set before with just the three, but the current one that I found adds the fourth movie, The Voice, uh, uh, and uh, then you have Whispering Corridors, Memento Mori, Wishing Stairs, and The Voice, and you know, as a box set, I'm sure it's uh, very affordable as well. I'm, I'm so OCD that I didn't want to pick up more movies than I needed for the coverage at hand because we haven't decided if we're going to do. Uh, the voice uh, blood pledge uh, or not M- maybe if the humming comes out then then we might as well complete the whole thing i mean the humming is going to come out it's just a matter of when and who's going to release it and how and all of that so. and uh, we, we we're talking of things that uh, it's almost an internal discussion but in short the humming which is the uh, which, uh what, sixth right yeah sixth yeah uh, movie what, uh, is completed in korea showed at uh, at a festival or two, pandemic hit, and now there's no firm word of distribution deal, whether it's going into cinema or going to streaming. Is that the gist of it? That's exactly where we're standing. It opened at the Bushan International Fantastic Film Festival, which is quite a small festival. Um, it was re- well received, and they were all set to to get it out. And, and then we don't need to say pandemic again, but it, it floored it as 
it has floored everything. So we're still we're still waiting. It's there. It's ready. And once things get back to normal, hopefully it will appear forthwith. It's neat that we get things on Netflix, but I, I'm just hoping that it isn't uh, terribly depressing in a general sense for Korean filmmakers. So, well, I guess we have to send it to Netflix and everyone around the world can see our movie. <laughs> you know, I'm hoping that it's financially it's somewhat of a viable choice that uh, you know that, that, that everyone can uh, make something out of a netflix deal otherwise we wouldn't have you know uh, the call and uh, and alive and uh, the viewership of both of those especially alive i think has been quite strong globally so. well indeed and, and you know all you have to do is think of you know how, how frustrating it must be for filmmakers as it stands at the minute not being able you know having films done and ready no matter what you think about streaming services netflix doing that and increasingly doing that you know new korean films are appearing all the time i think i think that's a very a very cool move and at the end of the day when things are released in korea you know every director i've talked to has been delighted when it's then moved internationally so them releasing it worldwide through netflix i think is is serving their purpose it may not be on a big screen as they would like but at least people are getting to to see it and you know if we again take alive and even more so the call the acclaim that that members of the public critics have given those films especially the call just sort of says it's the right move to do and it's it's a very positive thing for korean cinema it's a longer discussion but i think uh, there's we've, we've had it demonstrated now that big screen attendance is uh, in a strong market audiences are gonna come back i mean mainland china has had a few months of uh, movies coming out in cinema and uh, they're making money and they're making big money too so uh, pro- strong markets are gonna have that draw still uh, people are not uh, deducting that big screen experience from their lives they, they people still want it so i think uh, we're gonna have a mixture of uh, things going to streaming and uh, the traditional uh, cinema experience it's going to come back eventually but uh, at different times for different countries totally and you know i i think i don't know about what you guys internationally or whatever feel but certainly from from my uk perspective you know the thought of going and, and sitting in a cinema and being able to and not having to to think about viruses and whatever else is a you know it's an enjoyable event that i deeply miss and regardless of it being a big screen the thought of going and sitting in the cinema actually fills me with great joy and i can't wait to do it again i think a lot of people will feel the same way my, my last cinema experience was um, watching a korean film which was parasite Oh, of course. Yeah, of they course. did a one night screening of the, um, at my local cinema after it won uh, all the Oscars. A, a nice, nice choice to finish off your cinema experience for a little while. Yeah, for sure. And uh, we'll uh, we'll get back to it. So, uh, what we're also will uh, get back to is uh, our coverage of this uh, series, regardless of you dub it the Whispering Corridor series or the Girl School Horror series or Ghost. Uh, uh, all girls school ghost series however long you want to make it we'll be back to talk of what is perceived as the third entry uh, and that is wishing stairs so uh, again i'm hopping on about it just because i found out about it in the research and i can't forget about it says if you want to prepare um check out the monkey's paw the short story because apparently 
it might not be a full-on depiction of the monkey's paw, a full-on depiction of the text, for short text, but it certainly plays a part uh, uh, in terms of uh, how it inspired the story of Wishing Stairs. I know that much. So. Certainly, it will it will be absolutely clear to you when you watch it why that reference was made. So uh, I, I have a I have I have an audiobook on my phone because I'm a horrible reader, and it will take about uh, twenty or thirty minutes to get through it. So it's a short story. <laughs> so, uh, but we'll get back to uh, talking of wishing stairs next episode. So for in short, uh, the contact information goes as follows: for all your podcast and fire network needs, including uh, show links uh, connected to this episode, our back catalog of. Uh, what's Korean Cinema. It's available on podcastonfire.com, on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher Radio and Spotify and all that good stuff. Uh, social media links are available on the site permanently, so follow us over on Facebook and Twitter. And uh, I think uh, that's it. Mondo-Macabro.com to get Woman Chasing the Butterfly of Dev on Region All Blu-ray featuring an audio commentary by myself and Paul Quinn sitting to my virtual left or virtual right. It was virtual back then as well. <laughs> or virtual in front of you. You never know. I could I could be I could be anywhere. It just makes me uncomfortable. Like watch the screen, don't watch me as I say say my info. Uh, but uh, regardless, uh, get that. It's uh, I saw a price of like uh, twenty US dollars uh, excluding shipping. Um, so it, the disc itself, even if shipping rates are expensive as they are nowadays but the disc itself is uh, not a is not an expensive uh, one so go get it uh, mondo macabre has the license for about five or six more years so um, it's gonna be out there so i'm gonna throw it to you for a final plug of your website thanks for listening guys my name's paul i run hangelcellular.com head over there for korean film reviews cast and crew interviews transcriptions of ramblings i've given at various institutions facebook and twitter Buttons are are prominent on the first page, and in fact, my last four Twitter ramblings are actually also there focused. So you can just click on any of those and get into my Twitter, and you know, see what's going on day to day. But thanks for thanks for popping over, and hope you enjoy it while you're there. Excellent. Well, we are done for this episode, therefore. So I've been Kenny B talking of Memento Mori with uh, Paul Quinn of Angle Celluloid. So he's going to take us out. Check the film out, guys. Give it a chance within the series and you won't be disappointed. <laughs>